0: Welcome to the What We Talked About in Class podcast, brought to you from the campus of Wayne Community College in Goldsboro, North Carolina, sponsored by the Foundation of Wayne Community College. All right, so we just watched the video, Five Laws of Cybersecurity, Nick Espinoza, What type of comments do you have off of this? And while you're thinking of comments, which may or may not exist, because I know you guys don't like to comment that much, um, I'm going to go through and talk about these. uh, Let's see. Yeah, right here. Um, Hang on one second. Right here. So there we go. Number one, vulnerabilities will be exploited. What does that mean to you guys? Meaning that if you open the door for something bad to come in, something bad will come in. Because people online, there's groups of people that are just looking for opportunities to do something, often as a prank. You know, I want to steal this person's data just because I can. I want to take their identity and open up, you know, two dozen fake credit cards just because I can. You know, or I want to do whatever, you know, just because I can, just to see if I could get away with it. Um, Sometimes it's nothing more than that. Otherwise, other times it's more malicious. I want to steal this person's money or I want to do something that would compromise this individual in some way. Uh, Ransomware is a real thing where organizations, dark organizations will try to compromise a system and put a lockdown virus on it so you can't access the data until you pay a ransom. You know, this happened this year. Um, You guys might remember this scare of a gas prices going up because a ransomware attack, attack happened on an oil pipeline. Uh, remember this? Down the, down the East Coast. And guess what the company did? They paid the ransom. Uh, they paid it so they could... And, here's, and this is what's crazy. Sometimes when you pay the ransom, the people who did it will often tell you, okay, thanks for paying us. And by the way, this is how we hacked you and this is how you can protect yourself better in the future. Have a nice day. That's a very common thing for ransomware people to do. Say, we exploited you by doing this. Um, I believe in that particular case, the government was able to recover some of those funds, but not all of the funds. And so what sometimes happens when a big ransom, this was a multi-million dollar ransom, the person who did it freaks out because they know they've committed a major crime and they want to say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, you know, no no kidding, just kidding around. But at that point, the FBI is onto you, you know what I'm saying? Like they, they are looking into your case and trying to figure out who you are, where you are, And if you're inside the continental United States, it's not a good story. It doesn't end well. They will eventually get you. So Um, number two, everything is vulnerable. That's the attitude you need to have. Um, Simple things like changing your password often. That's a good thing. Knowing, having awareness of your network. Like, do you guys log into Wi-Fi in public spaces? I don't. Because when you do that, you're basically giving that person permission. They're giving you permission to use your network, but you're giving them permission to look at everything you do on that network. So, yeah, I would be very skeptical of that. Do you have a comment, Ryan, on that? No? Okay, that's fine. Number three, humans uh, trust when they shouldn't. You know, we we are trusting by nature. Uh, There's this thing uh, in psychology called obedience to authority. It's the Stanley Milgram studies where if we perceive somebody as an authority figure, as an example, if we had a person walk in the door in a uniform and said, everybody needs to get out of classroom right now, go. We would probably do that, right? But we don't know who this person is. We don't know if they have legitimate authority or not. They're wearing a uniform. They look like an authority figure. And so we naturally have this obedience to authority that we, if we perceive somebody to be an authority, they give us an order or command. We feel like we should trust this individual and go with it, you know. One of the things that I've had, like a revelation to me, is doctors, hear me when I say this, I'm not anti-medicine. I I, I go to the doctor once or twice a year. I get a checkup, a physical. I trust doctors, but I'm also skeptical because at the end of the day, just what I said to you at the beginning of class, I don't know everything. And medical doctors do not know everything either. A lot of times, they have to talk with their buddies and say, hey, this is what's going on. What do you think? Oh, I think this. Okay, let's talk to somebody else. What do they think? And so, like, getting a second opinion is a a thing because you want a second opinion on things. Uh, My aunt is going through some medical issues right now, and the doctor told her, I don't know. Yeah. And so, yeah, basically, you have to be skeptical is the word I'm trying to get to. You have to look at information and be skeptical. I get a spam email at least once a week. Your account's been locked. Your account's been frozen. Click here which I know it's a spoofing and sometimes the language is all messed up. It looks fake, right? But I actually got hacked one time that I know about where I clicked on a illegal email or illicit email as a phishing email. And I logged into my eBay account and then they had my eBay login credentials. They went in and changed the password. then started listing things on eBay that were high priced out of my BMW, a motorcycle. And if those auctions had gone through, I would have owed thousands of dollars in fees and it would just created problems for me, you know, that's, you know, that it just would have created a lot of problems. Luckily, we called it and, and dealt with it. But, uh, yes, yeah, so you have to be very skeptical. Innovation equals exploitation. Anytime we innovate, and I'm not just talking about the computer and, and the Internet as technology. I'm talking about any type of innovation we do. When we first had the Industrial Revolution in the United States, a lot of exploitation happened. They were used in child labor. They were, they were making people work in unsafe work conditions. They were making them work long hours. And if you got injured, too bad. Go home. We'll get somebody else in here that's not injured to work. Very little protection for workers. That was exploitation. And so uh, when we have innovated now to the Internet age, there's a lot of um, hacking and the exploitation that goes on online. And then lastly, when in doubt, see number one again, vulnerability, vulnerabilities will be exploited. So know that you should do all you can do to protect yourself, Um, Does anybody know what two-factor authentication is? Okay. If you don't know, it's basically where if you log into account, you have to use a second login credential to verify it's you. Wayne just went to a mandatory two-factor authentication across all our staff and, and faculty, and this is a, what's called a YubiKey. It actually has three verifications. I have to log in with a password, then I have to log in. I plug this in, and it prompts me to enter a PIN number, just like I do on a uh, a debit card. Then I have to put my fingerprint on this little circle as a biometric authenticator. So there's three authentications I do just to log in to show you guys this stuff. But the reason they do that is to protect the data because there's a lot of sensitive information. And if we were to be victim to a ransomware attack or something like that, it would be detrimental. I mean, all, all of what we do is through the internet now, right? I mean, we meet here in the classroom, but there's... 75-80% of my students that it's all online only and they would be it would mess them up if they couldn't get online for a week or two it would, it would create some problems, so we'd have to work around that All right any other questions or comments on that video or these five laws of cyber security before we move on into the chapter can <coughs> hack into your phone, like, That's a good question Can you hack into an iPhone? Yes, mm-hmm. it is extremely difficult though, but it can be done um, there was a, there, this is, this is, this is deals kind of cross over to business law. So when, if you get arrested, do the police have a right to go inside your phone and look at all your information? They have to have a warrant, right. But they don't regularly have the ability to go, I mean, just everyday police officers don't have the ability to hack your phone and get into it. You have to have specialized equipment to be able to do that, and it's still it's a very difficult thing. There was a case where there was some information on a cell phone that was highly sought after by the government, and it was an individual, I think it was terrorism related, and this was the line, you know, where does privacy end, and, and national security begin, and this type of stuff, and during the uh, post nine eleven world, we had the Patriot Act. Patriot Act basically gave the government permission to spy on everybody, uh, and They can listen to your phone calls, check your email, all that stuff. And that's, you know, that's a big, big infringement on personal privacy and liberty, you know, because we have a right to privacy. That's a constitutional bill of rights situation, right? So, you know, it's a slippery slope. If you read dystopian novels like 1984, you know, people will trade liberty for safety. But that's also leads to more anarchy or leads to um, authoritarianism, you know, because they're. They're saying, oh, we're doing this for your safety. You know, we're watching everybody. Very slippery, very scary slope, you know. So we have to protect those individual liberties and rights. So a um, good question. Yeah, the phones, phones can be hacked, but it is very difficult still um, because of the encryption. So but it can be done. Other questions, comments? All right. So once again, chapter 13 is about using technology to manage information or management of information system. It's a whole subcategory. Of business management. In fact, uh, University of Mount Olive, where I used to work, offers a degree specifically in MIS, Management of Information Systems, and there's a lot <coughs> that goes into it. Like a lot, basically, this class you're in now, uh, business um, intro to business, it goes over high categories or the main categories w- involved in business, and e- you could actually specialize in any one of those: human resources, uh, leadership, information systems, and you can actually dive into that specific field. And make a career out of being a specialist in that one area and so mis how has information technology transformed business and managerial decision making why are computer networks an important part of today's information technology system what types of systems make a typical company's management information system how can technology management and planning help companies optimize their information technology systems What are the best ways to protect computers and the information they contain? And what are the leading trends in information technology? So these are some of the talking points that's within Chapter 13. (coughs) Um, The first graphic they they present are talking about the different types of computing equipment that, that companies use. Tablets, we know what they are. Desktop PCs, laptops, mini computers, mainframe computers, servers, and supercomputers. I'm going to talk about the last half of this more because I think you guys all know what laptops and, and PCs and things like that are. So, mini computers are medium-sized computers with multiple processors able to support from four to about 200 users at once. So, these are centralized systems that people can log into from a terminal, and that computer is actually doing the processing. It's not a laptop or a PC that would be at a disk. <coughs> a mainframe computer is a large machine about the size of a refrigerator that can simultaneously run many different programs and support hundreds or thousands of users. It's a lot more, uh, has a lot more computational ability to be able to run many things. In fact, when I was preparing this lecture before class, I was actually getting an error message that the memory, didn't have enough memory to save it. And the reason why is because I was uploading a video at the same time, and the system itself was using so much resources dedicated to that that it didn't, wasn't able to save anything else. <clears throat> when that upload finished, I was able to to save it. So, servers are greatest storage capacity and processing speed. Uh, most of the internet runs off of servers. These are these are dedicated systems that spend their time processing large amounts of information. And then supercomputers are the most powerful computers, now capable of operating at speeds of 280 trillion calculations per second. And we uh, to to put it in scale. Uh, there's some example like, if a billion was like a year, then a trillion would be like you know a thousand years. I mean just a, I mean it's it's a huge scale, big big difference. So, so two hundred eighty trillion is you know way 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 different, big big processing powers. <clears throat> so word processing software, these are some applications that companies use or businesses. I think most of you guys know about word processing and spreadsheet things like Excel. Uh, but there's also database management programs like uh, electronic filing cabinets and for records and such, like a customers list, employee data, inventory information. Can sort data based on a vari- various criteria, create different, and create different reports. <clears throat> I'm thinking of uh, databases we've used in the past or I've used um, when I was at Walmart. They used a program called the Smart System. Do you guys still use that? <coughs> Smart System S M A R T. Do you use it for anything? Like, you used to have to use it to put in a scheduling request, inventory. Um, when did it's. is that what you about? I guess, it's, I guess they've changed it since. Since I've been away from Walmart for over 10 years, so it's probably changed. I don't know, like, like, <gasps> <anywhere. coughs> Excuse me? Like, I've never heard of smart systems. I'm doing okay, well, then that, it's not, it doesn't exist anymore. So, uh, graphic and presentation programs, things like. Um, PowerPoint, or anything that does imaging or video. Uh, Desktop publishing software combines Word and graphics and page layout software to create documents. Communications programs um, translates data into form uh, for transmission and transfers it across the network to other computers. Integrated software suites combine several popular types of programs such as word processing. This would be Office 365. Groupware. Facilitates collaborative efforts of group work so that several people in different locations can work on a project. Think about Google Docs. Does anybody use anything like that, Google-related, Google Docs? Yeah, very very convenient for that purpose. Um, We use it all the time here. Um, we'll, We'll have a joint shared Excel document for inputs and things like that. And then financial software, used to compile accounting and financial data and create financial statements and reports. So the purpose of that, once you put the inputs in, what the numbers are, it will spit out reports Uh, based on those inputs. Any questions about the types of equipment and the types of programs that are most common in business and organizations? Okay. So, next thing I want to talk about is Moneyball. Has anybody seen this movie? It's got Brad Pitt in it and Jonah Hill. Okay. If you you haven't seen it, I think it's available for free uh, right now. Um, Let me check real quick. It was available free recently. But... um, the chapter talks about this movie, and I'm glad it does because I really like Moneyball, and it has uh, a really good implication. Well, it's not going to pull up because I've got my data turned off. That's okay. I'll look it up in a minute. But anyway, the movie Moneyball, it's about uh, baseball, but it's it's about actually using data to more effectively manage a baseball team. And so what they decide is the, the whole history of baseball in the United States had been built upon basically arcane methodology, archaic methodology, meaning that they would pick players based on attributes that really didn't matter as much as, as far as scoring, scoring was concerned. Like, this player looks good. He's got good charisma. He's, he, can, he can hit well. You know? But when you look at the one metric that they looked at, which was on-base percentage, they were looking at the cheapest players they could get that got on-base the most, and that's what they matter because getting on base equals runs. Runs equals wins. And they brought all the stats down to that one number. And if I, Is it available for free somewhere? I think it's on Netflix. It's on Netflix? Moneyball, yeah. I'll send this out to you guys uh, today at an email. Um, you should watch it. I really like it. My wife doesn't like it, but I think you guys would like it. Um, because it's fascinating that the Oakland A's, this is a true story, by the way, they were one of the lowest-rated teams in the, in the baseball league. And they were actually able to optimize their entire organization by bringing in a statistician, this guy, uh, who was able to say, baseball, they, they, they evaluate players based on methods that don't translate to wins. You know, when you play a, a player $7 million a year, you want to get more wins out of that. That's why you pay that player that much. But the real thing we're looking at is how often that player gets on a base and how often those bases translate into points, and those points or runs equal wins. And so they actually calculated it down to an exact number of how many bases they needed to get on, how many runs they needed to score, and how many games they needed to win in order to win the whole thing. What this one year, the first year they did it, what it led to, they broke a record that hadn't been broken in 103 years, which was consecutive games won in a row. I'm not going to spoil any more than that, but it was mind-blowing, earth-shattering, paradigm-shifting, based on what they decided to do. And many organizations adopted this methodology from now on how they evaluate players. And so um, if you get an opportunity, watch this. But the big takeaway from this class is, as far as the information system is, using information the right way can lead to better outcomes. It can tell you, you know, what's working, what's not working. Um, Using Walmart as an example again, they have one of the biggest private databases in the United States. And you can actually pull up a report that will tell you what's selling and per category, it'll give you your top 10 performing items. You can look at your top worst performing items and you want to get rid of your losers and pick more of your winners. What people actually want to buy. If it's in the clearance aisle, that means it, it was a loser. It didn't sell. We need to take, take a hit on it and move it out the door. So Moneyball highly recommends. So would you be comfortable with using analytics exclusively instead of traditional scouting methods? So this was a big contentious point in the movie. Um, they were trying to switch to an analytic model, but traditional scouting was how they've always done it. We've always done it this way, so it must be the right way. These guys have been doing it this way for decades. It could, should be correct. it has got to be. There's no other way to do it. But this was a new way of doing things, and it ended up being a very contentious and created a lot of doubt as to whether it would work. What might be the pros and cons of this approach? What might be a, a good or a bad thing of this? This is something to think about. I want you guys to watch the movie and think about it. Would you be happier if you had a more robust budget to acquire star players than having to rely on analytics to uncover bargain price players? This is applicable to all of business. Every business is not going to have, you know, hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars to rely upon. You've got to play smarter. You can't have a huge budget all the time where you can just spend, spend, spend and buy your way to success. Most businesses starting out start with zero. They start with very little money, and they have to bootstrap them way their, their way forward using uh, the resources they can get their hands on for cheap, uh, for cheap and not have to spend money to, to basically buy customers. So things to think about as we talk about analytics. And so <clears throat> virtual private networks is the next part of the discussion, or VPNs. This is basically creates a private network that allows for a tighter or more robust security um, methodology. And so um, it allows you to transport private information over a public, public line, and so um, the VPN client will log into a local internet service provider, ISP, and it will translate that over to the VPN server where it will be received and protected that, through that whole process. Because right now, anything that you use, like anything on your cell phone, anything that you use through your internet ser- service provider can be seen, especially from your internet service provider, Right. I mean, if, if, the, if they really wanted to, like your ISP could print out a document that showed everything you've ever looked at online, right? And so if you want more security, more privacy, VPNs are the way to go. Um, I don't have a VPN, but I hear about VPNs most often used by companies or organizations that want to transmit data securely from an individual's home to the office. And so uh, during the pandemic, many people had VPNs set up. In fact, my dean had one set up at her house. So she should securely transact information back and forth without there being a risk of compromise because anybody could capture that data off the the internet service provider and then that would open up student information and private or confidential information. So questions about VPNs. They are available relatively inexpensively to consumers. You can get one on, on a monthly rate. So structure of an ASP relationship so we have users, the IT department. Um, so you, you have this ASP, and then you have vendor software, vendor hardware, and developers. They go through this uh, system, the ASP system, and the IT department uh, uses that to, in order for it to uh, perpetuate it down to the users. And so it just creates this layer of uh, making sure that we are uh, managing it in a way that there's not going to be, it de-risk it having to go through this this platform. If we went straight from software or hardware vendor to developer or developer straight to the users, there wouldn't be this middle layer of protection. So that's just another aspect. And then a company's integrated information system, um, it goes from top level, middle level, and operational managers. And you can see there's several different um, th- aspects to keep in mind. External databases, um, you have executive information systems and po- um, possible solutions. Uh, I guess. We'll work from uh, left to right, this is more logical. So, external data sources, transaction processing systems, and internal data sources, all of that coalesce into internal database. These are the inputs. And then, information reporting system is an output, expert systems is an output, and then decision support systems and executive information systems. All those are outputs created from that internal database. And so, we talked about inputs, throughputs, and outputs before. And so in this example of this integrated information system, you have that system of inputs, which will be on that left side of the graphic. And then once they are inside the database, they can be pulled out in various ways to create outputs for the users uh, within the company to use our organization. Any questions about any of that? Information technology. Good question. So most most companies that are, you know, More than just a few people have some type of IT support. A lot of times it starts externally. They'll have a consultant come in. They'll hire on a a contract basis. They'll come in and consult to give them information they need. Some people do it themselves. But as your company grows, the more and more you're going to need an IT person that can address these issues. I heard a student recently got a job at a hospital, and all they do is, like, do – I mean, you think about a hospital, how many computer systems they have. And all they do is do updates and security maintenance and things like that. And so that's, that's that go-to person that can help with those information. Wayne has a dedicated IT department, and I think we're probably 10 or 12 people that are dedicated to IT issues because there's no telling how many hundreds of computers are on this campus. And not just computers themselves, but systems, servers, and things like that that we deal with. So it um, just takes a lot of, of that type of uh, knowledge to run an organization this size. <coughs> All right, so let's talk about telemedicine. Has anybody ever had a telemedicine experience? I've had one. So telemedicine is where, like, during the pandemic last year, um, I I needed to go to the doctor, but I didn't, like, they weren't allowing people to come in except for extreme circumstances. Like, you know, they weren't you going in. Like, if you just need a consultation or a prescription or whatever, they, I would call up there and say, can I get an appointment? said, well, we're doing telehealth now. Would that be okay? I said, sure. So they sent me an email. I click a link in the email, and it takes me to like a Skype call. And uh, they said, the doctor will be there at this time. You know? And so I log in, I'm there, and then within five minutes or so, the doctor pops up on screen. Hello, how are you doing? And we go through a dialogue. He asks me questions. I talk to him about what my issue is, writes me a prescription. Boom, that's done. I really liked it. I thought it was, you know, I mean, most of the time you go to the doctor, there's not a lot of physical like inspection. You know, a lot of times, you're, you know, you say, I've got the flu or whatever, and they, they can assess it that way. Sometimes there's, you know, there's, they're having to um, get more personal with you, but I think it was very effective and it, it, it solved my problem. I think there's a need for that. When instead of having, I've always hated the idea of going to a clinic when I don't, I'm not sick, sick, but I'm, I need something. And then I'm in there with a bunch of sick people that's got COVID and flu and all these other things, right? So that's always bothered me. I'm, my mom's an RN, and so that's always, I've always been kind of a germaphobe a little bit, you know. And so, um, yeah, the idea of going to sit in a clinic with people coughing on me, not, not a fan of that, right? So I think the telehealth has a, a need in the marketplace. So would you be comfortable with telemedicine substituting for a visit to the medical office? How do you guys feel about that? In certain circumstances, would you, would you rather have a Skype call to a doctor than going to sit into a clinic with the doctor? Yeah? You, you might be open to that? So honestly, show of hands, how many people would be open to it? Okay, most everybody would be open to it. Okay, that's cool. I think we're going to see more and more of this type of stuff. Like, instead of having to travel to a clinic, go check in with the front desk, all that minutiae, you know, having to wait in an office... That having to go to a back office or a back room and wait another 30 minutes. Yeah, just you call me when you're ready to see me, doc. Do, 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 do. Okay, I'm here. Let's talk. Here we go, you know. Now, don't get me wrong. There's some conditions that you need to go in for. But I would say probably half of the things people go to the clinic for, they don't actually need to go to a clinic for. I mean, they could stay home, say, okay, I've got this. What do you think? Do I think everybody needs to go once a year to have a physical, and have blood drawn? Absolutely. You need to know what's going on with your health. But some of these times can be done. So, what do you think would be the pros and cons of a virtual doctor visit? What do you think the pros would be? Uh, don't, get sick. don't get don't get sick and don't get other people sick. Correct, you're not communicating diseases. What else? Less time consuming, Less time consuming big time. That's my that's my deal. I hate waiting. What else? You can continue life and wait for the phone yeah, it's you can you do what you got to do and wait for them to call you. What else? You need a don't need a babysitter, right? Yeah. Um, like I said, I mean, we've got kids. I hate the idea of taking my sick-ish kid to a really sick place, you know, where people have been coughing this season or whatever, you know. So what are the cons of the virtual visit? What's the downside? They might diagnose you wrong. Misdiagnosis, yeah. What else? Yet there's not, there's, there's a qualitative thing you get from seeing a patient and looking in their eyes. I had a doctor, I'm not gonna do this, this is this is my face. The doctor walked into the room and got right in my face and looked right in my eye like this. <laughs> I'm not kidding, that's how close they got, and they looked right into my eyes. I don't know, I mean, do they think I'm on crack or something? Or, you know, I don't know. Like, what's, what's the, I think after I had time to reflect on it and I got over my shock, I think they, there's a lot you can tell by looking at some the way that their eyes look. You know, yeah, that they were right. I'm saying she was. She had a face mask on and a mask, or face shield and a mask, and she got right up to my face and was like, "I would say this close to my eyes yeah, looking." I, I was like, I was like, it, it was it was strange. Like she was looking right into my soul, and I'm like, "Okay." I mean, I, I think it's because you can tell a lot. You know, when somebody looks weak-eyed or fatigued or if their eyes are bloodshot, or you can you can get a feel for somebody by the way they look. You know. So, you know, I actually had the flu during that time when she looked at me and my temperature was 103 at the time. So, yeah, um, I guess she saw that, you know, but the the, the temperature told her, you know. So would you uh, – the other con is um, you're not getting those uh, diagnostics that you would get, like the blood pressure check. You're not getting the temperature check. Sometimes the doctors will ask, though, I think they asked me this, have you taken your temperature in the past X amount of time or – you know, and I had some diagnostics. I have an Apple Watch that I left in my office, but it told them my pulse rate. You know, it'll tell, you know, my, uh, my was it the EKG? It'll tell you that diagnostic stuff. Uh, you know, they've actually studied the EKG on the Apple Watch, and they said it's very comparable to what you would get with an EKG meter. So. So, um, so you're not getting, those are some of the cons. Would you be happier if a well-known specialist located outside of your geographic area examined you virtually rather than a local provider with similar credentials? Would that make a difference if you were getting more of an expert virtually versus an okay person locally? Would that make a difference? Some doctors are better out of state. Right. So my my daughter had to go to the doctor recently, um, and when she got a scan, they sent her to Duke to get a follow-up scan just concerned, you know, over over something that's all. And we we went, (laughs) and we waited and went and waited, and, uh, we talked to the doctor for like twenty minutes, and it was no need for concern. But uh, I don't know, like it was just the, the bill was outrageous. I got it, I got it reduced, but you know, I was thinking, you know, like is there a better way we could have done this? You know, it's just I don't know. But any other comments that you have on telemedicine or telehealth? I think this is going to be a, a very much a norm in the coming decade. What's up? So I actually have a doctor that does telehealth on Fridays so every time. <coughs> Uh-huh. And then, like, so we the right. Like, I've never, like, i one time. Sure. As a, hey, Right. And then after that, it's just, uh, like- I can see a future where <clears throat> um, people wear, like, an Apple Watch or something similar, and it gives a lot of diagnostics. It tells blood pressure. It tells pulse. It tells blood glucose. All kinds of da- data... And I can see an option where you have kind of two choices. You could go to a physical clinic or you could go to the virtual clinic. And if you go to the virtual clinic, you say, I need to be seen, and they will contact you within a certain window, and they will have all your diagnostics off of your your metrics. They know your temperature. They know your pulse. They know your blood pressure. They know your glucose, all that stuff. And they can uh, talk to you and ask these uh, qualitative questions and make recommendations based on that. That's going to be something in the next 10 years that's going to be very common. I can see it happening. I can see a big business booming around that where we've got virtual doctors, you know, doing this stuff, and that's their full-time gig. What's up? So I remember a while ago when I told you I was looking starting <coughs> I yeah, to start Yeah, I remember that. Um, I had an idea, like, um, you were saying how you don't want to be around sick people. I was like, well, what if I made the urgent care, like, we accept no COVID patients or something like that? <coughs> I don't know like, would that be- how would that work legally. I mean, you know, because how do you how do you know that they have or don't have COVID? You know, like, I'm saying like somebody that comes in here and like, okay, I think I have COVID, but I can't get into a hospital. I think I think that would be problematic. Just just I mean. I think you might have the intention of doing that, but it could lead to some either discrimination or what if somebody comes to see you and they have COVID but you won't see them and then they die or something? It could lead to some problems, you know, that kind of stuff. What's up? So in that instance, instead of saying like you just can't have COVID or whatever, you could have like everybody sit like come in and check in, for them they have to leave and just sit in their car or they sit on the bench. Outside. Right some places will will test you in the car. They'll test you in the car, you know, that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I mean, I don't want to live in a world where we discriminate against people based on illness. Like that's that that I don't think that any kind of discrimination is not good. So, um, you know, I, I think that's a dangerous ground to, to stand on, you know. We want to be inclusive of everybody, and uh, you know, and try to help people. So, what's up? There's more sickness. COVID. Right. Now, you could specialize in something, like we specialize in this, and you can actually say, you know, this is our specialty. And if you have these other problems, you need to go to an ER because that's not our specialty. I think you could differentiate yourself in that. We, t- we specifically deal with cold, flu, and uh, injuries that are sprains or strains or things like that. These other things we're not special. We don't specialize in. If you have these other conditions, you need to go to the ER because this is not our specialty. Okay. That might be something you could look at as a way. You're not discriminating. You're specializing. So, because I wouldn't go to a bone doctor if I had a, a pulled back muscle. You know, they're they're like, okay, it's a muscle. What am I going to do with that? You know, what I mean. So, all right, I'm going to take a time out here for today. We'll pick up chapter uh, 13 on Wednesday and continue, possibly finishing. If we do finish, um, well. You guys don't have that extra class, but we will finish it up on Thursday. So, All right, guys, I'll talk to you soon. I'll send out another email in a little bit. Moneyball will be a recommendation.